Um, I'm so grateful for you guys being here today. Uh, we are starting, uh, we are ending our series, Monsters Within. And this question that we have that is, who is someone that you know that is controlling? Isn't it funny that we immediately think of somebody else? How many of you guys thought about yourselves as being that controlling person? It's so easy for us to point the finger at somebody else, say, oh no, they got a monster in them. But one thing that I think we neglect to do is look at the monsters within ourselves. It's so easy to see the speck in somebody else's eye, but you, often we have this big plank in our own. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm really excited to close out this series, Monsters Within, because it's been kind of tough for me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's just been like a constant slam. <laughs> like, golly, like, I didn't even know that there was this many things wrong with me. And our next series, uh, the, the title is, it, it might change, but our next series for uh, the month of October is Burnt. Look at your neighbor and say, Burnt. It's going to be a, a series about hope, the times that you do feel burnt, burnt, burnt from relationships, burnt from your job, burnt out from church, and it's going to be a month of hope, all right? So maybe, uh, maybe this is a, a great time for you. If this is your first time uh, listening to today's message, I, I'm, I thank you that you're here. Um, we had so many different uh, technical difficulties today from our speaker to our uh, screen not working, but thank God that we can be old school, right? I love notebooks. I love paper. I prefer reading the Bible out of the paper uh, version rather than on my phone. And so it works out for me. I hope it works out for you. And as we go into today's message, today's message is titled Me, Myself, and I. Look at your neighbor and say, Me, me myself, myself, and I. Some of y'all didn't even look at your neighbor. <laughs> Often we are so focused on ourselves that we think of others in a wrong way by looking at the me perspective. We look at others only through the perspective of ourselves. We, <clears throat> we are quick to look, at, look out for our benefit, what we think we deserve, and how we would have done it. We can't see how controlling we actually are because we're so caught up in judging somebody else. Today, let's take a different look at the only person that we have the power to change ourselves. Then we can start actually making a difference in others. So our first point today is I should have. Someone say, I should have. I should have. I should have. have. I feel like that's uh, the way you say it means different things. Oh, I should have versus, uh, oh, I should have. Y'all see the different? Uh, <laughs> I hope you do because it's very pivotal for this message. <laughs> you know, um, th- what this first point is about is entitlement. And our generation, our, our culture has claimed that Um, Kids nowadays are the most entitled generation that has ever walked across the United States. And which is kind of funny when you think about how the United States was formed through the manifest destiny and it was the entitlement of the land being ours. 
So it's almost like our entire world is built off of entitlement. What country was not formed by taking somebody else's? Every, every people group has been entitled. And I believe that our, uh, this generation, the next generation, millennials, they're no more entitled than the past. It just seems that way. But the other day I, I, I had a situation where I realized I was being entitled. And uh, I, I thought about this verse that I'm going to share. But can I share with you all what happened? Totally. So this is, one of our core values is uh, victory happens with transparency. So as a pastor, I'm choosing to be transparent with you guys. So how many of you guys have ever struggled in your life? Right. Everyone has. Right. Everyone's uh, been laid on a bill. Right. <laughs> Everyone's um, forgot about their uh, Internet bill. Right. Everyone's done that. So anyway, there. Uh, I, my job is very, very stressful, in my opinion. Some people love sales. I hate sales. Uh, the, the, in my job, the reason I, I do what I do is so that I can have such a flexible schedule to do more ministry. And uh, I, the month of August, I had this huge slump, like bad slump, really bad slump. I usually made like two sales a week. And last month I made two sales the entire month. And so it was really tough, right? And so uh, I had to do all these extra things. I took all these side jobs to compensate my, my different bills. And in the beginning of September, I started the week strong with three sales. I was like, oh man, I'm back, baby. I'm ready. I'm ready for, for everything now. I can take it. Uh, this, this slump is over. And usually, you know, I, I'm being a little too transparent, but um, I, I, with each sale, I make like X amount of dollars, right? It's roughly X amount of dollars. And so I was expecting triple X amount of cash, okay? Three sales means three Xs. And I was counting on it. I was ready for it. And I was, I was thinking, man, finally out of this slump. And I was like, oh, God, like, God you, you see me? It's, it's all over now. I put, like, all my hope is in you. Lifting my hands, praying and everything. I'm like, God, you're just so good. I, I knew I just had to wait a little bit longer and you'll see me. <laughs> I was like having the most spiritual, emotional ride. I was like, oh, this is great. And then I got uh, my, my email for my check stub for, <laughs> for what I made. And it was half of the amount that I was expecting. <laughs> it, was, it was half, it was, it was equivalent to one X rather than three X's. And I got to admit that I did not respond the way a pastor should. <laughs> In fact, I didn't respond the way a Christian should. It's like, man, what did he do to just start cussing at God or what? <laughs> you know, I remember I, I, I had so much built up stress that I felt like I was just like on the edge. Y'all ever feel like that? And I felt like f for a moment, I was like, oh man, I can breathe again. And then when I looked at that email and saw that it was half of what I expected, all of my hopes felt shattered. And I became so angry, so, so upset because I just, I knew that I deserved more than what I was giving, what I was getting. And I started putting all of, uh, all of this said, God, aren't you supposed to be sovereign? 
I'm, uh, and I'm skipping the part that I almost uh, screamed at the top of my lungs while punching the floor, but I didn't. <laughs> I just built it in, and, and uh, my wife started freaking out, like, babe, are you okay? I was like, <laughs> Couldn't contain myself. And as I laid in, I just laid in the bed, I don't even know what else to do. And I remember that for the first time in my life, I, I was so angry at God. I, I, I could, I honestly and embarrassingly say that I cursed God in my heart. I was so upset. I said, man, I, I'm, here I am trying to do this church. I'm doing all these extra things, God, and I just can't get a break. And I was like, God, this is on you. You have the power to change this and you didn't. And the moment that I cursed God in my heart, this verse immediately flashed through my mind. Can I read it to y'all? It's in the book of Job. It's in chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. It says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, someone say the accuser. Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Over coffee, right? (laughs) Seven tea up there. That's the way we see God, right? That everything's just perfect. And you're like, oh, everything's fine. (laughs) Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. That's where that song comes from. They see me rolling. (laughs) They're patrolling. Trying to catch me riding dirty. That wasn't about the cops. It was about the devil. He's trying to catch you. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Let's just pause for a moment. And the Bible says that not one person human being is perfect. Every single one of us have sinned, fallen short. No one is, it says, in in fact, it says that our greatest holiness is like filthy rags unto God's. And so even with all of our mess, God is looking for the best in people. Job is a sinner just like the rest of us. He's not blatantly sinning. He's trying his best and forgetting the rest. But God isn't looking for the worst in him. He looks for the best. It's the devil who points the finger. It's the devil that tries to slam dunk us to hell. But God is the one protecting us and looking, seeing the gold inside of us when all we see is dirt. And look what it says. This is the verse that really flashed through my heart when I, when I had all that built up anger against God that night. In verse 9 it says, Satan replied to the Lord, yes. But Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home, in his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, talking about entitlement, what does it say? Entitlement says... I deserve this. I should have more. I've been good. That's what Santa Claus tells us, right? Anyone else put up their Christmas decorations already? Yeah? Just our home? Okay. We put up our decorations already. We're we're ready for Christmas. 
I, I had some kids ask me, like, why would you already put up Christmas decorations? I said, you don't like Christmas or what? It's September. So? Well, what about Halloween or Thanksgiving? I said, Halloween's dead to me. Thanksgiving, I'm just thankful that it's almost Christmas. So why not just get a head start? But isn't that how our, our, even the way we think of God is the Santa Claus method? Well, I've been good, so I deserve something good. That's why I did good things is so that I can get something back. Isn't that how we see God sometimes? God, I've been, I've been following you. I've been doing the right things. Give me a break. Right? God, you, you owe me this one. I, I haven't been the worst person ever. You owe me something. Isn't it funny that it's not even that we've been exceptionally good, but we just haven't been that bad and we feel like God owes us. And see, what, what this is, it's a false feeling of deserving. This false feeling of deserving. What makes us feel like we really deserve something? Now look, this is not to make anyone feel all bad and, and sad and stuff. But what really have we done that makes us think that we deserve so much? What makes us even think that we deserve so much from God? I mean, even when we know the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, like we know that. We know that he gave us everything. And yet when it's our turn, we're like, oh, God, come on. Even the fact that he's given us life, like I'm lucky. I'm I'm glad I made the draw. (laughs) I'm glad I got here. I'm glad I'm here today. But it's like at the moment, we just forget about all that. And we look at our circumstances and our situations and we think, this is bull-loney. thought I was going to say a cuss word, right? We we are not that hipster of a church. (laughs) And see, because we, we have this feeling that we deserve so much from God, it ends up leaving us so frustrated with Him. If we were to take off those false expectations, I guarantee you that we'd feel a lot happier with our lives. But we expect the best. I mean, that's what, that's what the Bible tells us, right? That you follow God and everything else will be good. That's what I hear most people tell me of why they go to church. Well, you know, I just try to do the right thing because, you know, if I'm with God, God will be good to me. If, you know, God is good, so he's going to make my life good. That's messed up. That's like an abusive relationship. <laughs> Yet that's how that so often that's what we either directly think about God or subconsciously think about him. You owe me one. You owe me one. That isn't that the entitlement of our generation? Oh, you owe me. Think about your parents. They owe you something, right? Don't you feel like that? They owe you a good home. They owe you a decent childhood, right? So many of us have so much bitterness against our parents. We cannot let go what they did to us. They deserve to give me a better childhood. They should have. It's their responsibility. It's their job. 
You know, there's entire counseling sessions that I've experienced myself to where I'm so jacked up. And then in the counseling session, they start showing me that, oh, it's because of all this hurt from your parents. It's because your, your parents were just so messed up that that's why you're, you're messed up. You know, that, that's, that's really how we start looking at things. And that's why it's so hard for us to forgive our parents now. Think about how many people you know that have held that grudge against mom or dad. Maybe brother or sister. Tia, Tio, your abuelita. It's my border town coming out. We hold it against them because we should have had a better childhood. But what if we were to throw off all those feelings of deserving? Instead of saying, oh, I deserved a better childhood, of just accepting the one that you got. You know, I strongly believe that there's always a person that has it worse than somebody else. There is. If you think about the worst part of your childhood, I guarantee you that there's someone that has it incredibly worse. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I know kids that had it worse than me. They're still, they're still kids, and I know that they have it worse than me. And I also know that someone has it worse than them. But it's something about our culture that makes us feel like we should have had this perfect family. We should have had this perfect family grow up. Even myself, there's been times where I've gotten bitter just when I hear someone that their parents paid for the college. Like, oh, it must be nice. I'm over here with FAFSA. <laughs> And yet, we just can't accept the cards that we got dealt. We're always comparing ourselves and thinking, well, if I had that, manch. But no, I got my family. The, the steps that you need to make to have that, if you want that, that entitlement to go, if you even want to have a relationship with your parents again to where you can actually have that what you wanted you're gonna have to forgive them you know one thing that my dad taught me long time ago and it really changed my life when he taught me was that joe's gonna be joe not actual person joe we have a member of our church named joe not joe just like uh, an analogy joe's gonna be just joe you can't change joe joe's always gonna act like joe that's just how Joe is. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And for some reason, especially with our parents, we know how they are. We know how mom is. We know how dad is. They've always been like that. And yet we're constantly frustrated when we want them to be someone else. Constantly let down. Oh, they're still like that. Well, yeah. That's how they've always been. We have these... It's like we're surprised that they're still themselves. But if you were to throw off this entitlement, stop making this false image, this false expectation of what you want your parent to be and just accept them for who they are, man, doesn't that sound like a, like a Christian? Isn't that how Christians are supposed to be? 
just accept you the way you are. You don't have to be like someone else. And what's funny is that the people who claim that Christians are the most judgmental, hypocritical people, they often, they can't even just get past their own families, right? They can't even get past judging their own mom, their own dad. But we're all in the same boat. Just throw off those expectations that you have of them. It's just, that's just how they are. And if you release that, that feeling of entitlement that I should have had better parents, I should have had a better childhood, I shouldn't have been deserted, I shouldn't have been left, I should have. If you let all that go, you're going to find peace. You're going to be able to finally move on. But what that entitlement does is it, it binds you to that unforgiveness of your parents, your childhood, everything else. And the moment you do that, you're going to start seeing your other relationships differently. You know, it's, especially when it comes to God. I mean, that night when, when I cursed God in my heart, I was so upset, so angry. I mean, I can't even describe to y'all how upset I was. And I know that each of us have had moments like that. Maybe not with God, maybe with somebody else. But the truth is, the reason we get so discouraged, so upset, is because we have this, these, these ideas of what we deserve. I mean, think about even, even when we think about other people's problems, isn't like the first reaction of others usually like, Something along the lines like, oh, well, you think that's bad. Listen to this. We're so blinded by ourselves. Kids, I mean, teenagers, I'm working with high schools now. I was a youth pastor before. I'm doing clubs in high schools. You know why most kids feel misunderstood? It's because they're not understood. Their problems aren't important to us as adults. Yeah, it's because once we grow up, we realize that the same problems that we had when we were kids aren't as a big deal as we thought when we were younger. But does that make it right for us to just blow it off? How would you feel if you had this deep problem that you felt like was a big deal and you shared it with someone else and they said, that's not a big deal, stupid. And you wonder why, we wonder why teenagers are so disconnected with adults. But see, what's funny is that it's not just teenagers who feel that way. We feel like that. And even in our own churches, we can't even be transparent with one another because we're too busy measuring each other's problems. Someone tries to share something with you and you're like, yeah, well, I had something similar happen to me. Let me just spend the next five minutes telling you my story instead of listening to your story. You ever felt like that? Man, that's irritating, right? And all you can think when that happens to you, all you can think is like, man, I'm never sharing anything with this person again. Because then I'm going to get stuck listening for unsolicited advice for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> I was just trying to talk about how, what I was going through. That's why everyone's like, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You know someone's doing real bad when they say, all right. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. That means like I'm barely hanging on by a thread. <laughs> I'm doing good means like it's a normal day, still stressed out, but whatever. 
doing all right. That's like, I thought about killing myself before coming here. <laughs> doing bad, like, you need to go take him to the bar, have a drink or something. <laughs> See, when we, when, we ha- when we hold on to these false expectations, this entitlement, what we deserve, it only leaves us with discouragement and distance. We're left distant from whoever we feel entitled from. If it's with God, you, deserve, you feel like you deserve better from God, the moment you don't get it, you're going to be distant from Him. If it's your parents, you felt like you deserved better from your parents, you're going to be distant from them. If it's your brother, your sister, your boss, should have given me that raise. The moment you felt like you deserve it, it's going to put you distance from your boss. It, it's everywhere. We just don't realize that it's this false feeling of entitlement Oh, I've worked so hard for this. I deserve this. But when we first got the job, oh man, I barely got this job. I'm so grateful, so happy. A couple months into it, oh, I don't know who they think they are talking to me like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, you're talking with other employees like, you know what, if I were in charge, this whole place would be making billions of dollars by now. That leads us to our next point, if I were. Someone say, if I were. If I were. This is that judgmental part. None of us are judgmental, right? No. No? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, the, let, there's a couple aspects of judgmental, but can I, let's just start with the verse so that the Bible can show us a clear description of judgmental. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. And this is Jesus talking, so you know it's legit. <laughs> Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. It's like the most quoted verse of the Bible nowadays. It used to be John 3:16, for God so loved the world, but now it's don't judge others, don't judge me. Don't look at anything bad I do, because I just do whatever I want. But anyway. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Making waves, Jesus. That's where that term, eat your own medicine, take your own medicine, comes from. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite! Exclamation mark. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Talking about critical Christians. Critical Christians. You know, that's starting just at the basic spot. That's why most people feel hesitant to go to church, right? The number one reason, I I invite so many, like, in my job, I'm either selling something or inviting someone to church. I'm like the perfect solicitor. (laughs) And the most common thing I hear from people, why they do not want to go to church is because of fear of being judged. Fear of not being accepted. And we, we convince ourselves that it's, oh, well, I'm not like that. Think about how many times you were critical of, say, like a megachurch. Joel Olstein. 
Some of y'all just had a flash, like a curse word flash in your head. So many people bash on Joel Olstein, right? I, I, I don't personally like dig it, like the messages of like how he does it. Because I just like, you know, different, different strokes for different folks. It's not that I don't like the guy. I feel like we have similar hair. If I smile like this, I might look like him. Why, hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. This is my Bible. But so many people, they're so ready to just kill the guy. Like, off with his head. And I'm talking about in the church. We're supposed to be Christians together. Like, we're supposed to be family but when we think about other mega churches, oh, they're just in it for the money, those devil heathens. Dang, like, what are you in it for? <laughs> it, we, we get, we're so ready to just be God's hitmen. They're doing it wrong. Bang! Did you a favor, God. <laughs> I'm ready to take them out. Just, just show me, God. You don't even have to tell me. I'll just feel it. I'll just... I'll just be extra critical and judgmental. And if I see one thing wrong, bam, I'll take him out myself. God, don't even sing Archangel Gabriel. <laughs> I'll do it. We're so ready to kill our fellow Christians. And we look things that, for things that separate us instead of things that unite us. The other day I saw this Facebook post. I only look at Facebook posts to look at articles, okay? I'm on the gram, all right? <laughs> That's my life now. Facebook is dead. <laughs> I go on Facebook just to, you know, read articles. And I came across this one where it was a, a popular, I don't, I don't want to say popular. It was, it was just a minister that went around traveling, speaking other places. And he shared this article of a, a popular megachurch pastor of, uh, that pretty much said, uh, in so many words that our, our lives uh, as Christians, we should strive to do what Jesus said in loving God and loving people rather than just trying to look at not, doing, uh, not breaking the Ten Commandments. So that's what we believe. We, yeah, the Ten Commandments are as a guide, but our, we shouldn't be looking at what we shouldn't do. We should be looking at what we can do in Christ, and that's loving God and loving people. So it's very, it's, it's, it's very biblical. There's so many verses. We went all of the month of August. We talked about even the different theological beliefs of dispensationalism, old covenant theology, new covenant theology. We like, it was, a, it, he just made a very biblical theological statement. But people took that and ran and said, this, this pastor saying that we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. What a snake. <laughs> How could he? And then I, I just I was just curious and I looked at the comments and all these quote unquote Christians just trying to slaughter the guy. Just trying to slaughter him. And they're saying, I can't believe him. What I, I, I can't believe this this devil. He's false doctrine. The Bible is just the Bible, period. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's so much theological proofs in the Bible. And he was, 
He was more theologically accurate than they are. He went to Bible college and everything. These are just people that probably read a couple verses on a coffee mug, throwing these stones at this guy. And then the, the worst part was when I saw this, this, can I be mean, guys? Because we're talking about critical Christian, right? And it says that to measure that the same standard you give out to others, the same standard you're going to be measured by. I would have never thought of this guy this way, except the moment that he was so critical of someone else. I'm just giving you an example. And so the way he was throwing stones at this guy, I was like, man, this T.D. Jakes wannabe is on here just trashing this guy who's a fellow Christian, a fellow minister of the gospel. And, and for what? To, to have a, to seem like you're smarter than somebody else? And he goes on there, I just pray that this guy repents and changes his ways. It's like, psh, please, please. He's just in it for the money. Why did you share that? But what are you doing? You're not doing it for money. You're not trying to make a living doing this stuff. And here this guy that they're all throwing stones at was more biblically accurate than them. But they're so ready to just be critical. As Christians, we should look at our fellow Christians out of unity, not out of spite. Are we not all just broken people that found a a savior? Were we not all just dead and found life in Christ? What makes us more better than the next guy? And what's, what, here's the most part that's asinine about it. Is that that guy was bringing more people to Christ than any of those wannabes on there. All they're doing is judging others. This guy's actually br- like physically bringing people to Christ, doing something. And all these people are like, oh, how could he? Bring someone to Christ and then throw a stone, okay? Do, do something with your faith rather than just judge all the people who are actually doing something. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I'm talking about monsters within us. If I were in charge of that church, we would never have said that. Well, that's why you're not in charge of it. God didn't see that you were fit for that part. See, what it... This, if I were, this criticalness, it, it leads us to challenging those in charge. It's like at our jobs. If I were in charge, I would have done it this way. If I was speaking the message, I would have never said that. I, that's the funniest thing that I always thought about preaching. Is a, I, I'm not qualified to, or educated enough to be a pastor or preacher, but here I am. <laughs> And especially when I was a youth pastor, that's when I had a microphone, so it made more sense. I'm like, well, that guy does have a microphone, so he must be ready for that job. Now I don't need one because I talk loud enough. But I remember the most random people would come to me when I was a youth pastor, and they'd just meet me on the spot like, oh, man, that was such a great message, brother. That was good. You know what? I would actually really like to share something, too. It's like... Did you see a sign-up sheet? (laughs) Why don't you move a couple chairs first? (laughs) But people just think, man, if I were given the message, I'll just tear it up. I would say what the people really need to hear. Come on, everyone's thought that before. If I was that politician, I would have just said this. If I was so-and-so, if I was that person, I would do this. 
It's football season, right? If I was on the field, we had already been at the Super Bowl three, three seasons ago. <laughs> if I was the coach making the calls, I don't know what this guy's doing. See, that's what it's like. Is we, it's so easy for us to shout from the sidelines. But I believe that God has sovereignty as well as giving us free will. And sometimes people would literally just like not like me. I don't know why. I'm a likable guy, right? Why do y'all hesitate? <laughs> and it, sometimes I could be a little, a little quick with my words. I'll admit I'm working on it. So pray for me. But sometimes people would be like, I don't know why you're doing this. Or they would say some mean comment about my preaching. And all I could say is like, well, that's why God gave me the microphone and not you. <laughs> when you get the microphone, you can say whatever you want. But until then, back up. That's that hood in me that comes out a little bit. But it's so easy for us to challenge those in charge. But at the end of the day, we're not the ones in charge. You're not. So instead of just challenging it all the time, why don't you just try to support it? Instead of being so critical, so judgmental, if you really think that a a fellow Christian has a problem would it not be right for you to try to pray for them instead of judge them? Think about all the people that bash on Joel Olstein. How many of those people ever prayed for Joel Olstein? Right? But they're the better Christians. They're super saints. And finally, if I were candid, candidly covet. Candid means straightforward. We just straight up covet. Did you know coveting is the least important commandment in our minds? <laughs> Did you know that that's a commandment? Don't covet. What is covet? It means desiring something of somebody else's. It's like envy. I covet all the time. I, just, I don't even need to see somebody else have it. I'll just watch a commercial. I want that. It's like I, I have a TV and I see a bigger TV. It's like, oh man, what, what am I doing? There's a bigger TV than this one? I t- I should have that. And see, especially, I feel like church is a a great place to covet. Because when it comes to coveting individuals, we either covet positions, people, or property. And yeah, all three of those started with a P. That's alliteration. I use it to make better memory in people's minds. That's just extra. But we covet positions, people, and property. I should have that job. I should be the one talking. It, we think of people. I mean, you ever covet someone else's parents? I have. Man, if I had those parents, you don't even know how good you have it. What else do we covet? People. Talking about girlfriends, boyfriends. Wives, husbands. Think about all the times that you thought, man, if they weren't with that zero, they'd be with the hero right now. Right? Man, I I would treat them right. If that was my girl, I'll get her flowers every day. I'll never talk to her like that. Anyone here ever punch someone that said that? (laughs) I'm just joking. Property. 
This is, the be- this is the funniest one. You ever knew someone that got a new car? And, and you're like, you're just so mad because you want a new car. <laughs> and they think that they're celebrating with you. And they don't realize that you're just thinking of how much they don't deserve it and that you deserve it instead. <laughs> like, man, I just got this new car. And all you have to say, like, oh, really? <laughs> wow, man. That's crazy. <laughs> You don't even say that's awesome. You just say that's crazy because it could go either way. <laughs> that's crazy, man. I can't believe they let you have that. <laughs> man, that's wild. Yeah, I've been needing to get a new car myself. You already just think like, man, I should have had that new car. We just can't even be happy for somebody else because we're too busy thinking about number one. What I deserve, what I want. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now the last last point is I better. I better. Someone say I better. I better. You know what? What really is a factor of all these things that we talked about is the need for control. We open today's message asking, "Who's a controlling person that you know?" We, we usually, I mean, because that just sounds like a bad word, right? No one wants to label themselves controlling. And when people really say, like, I'm actually a very controlling person, they admit that. And it's like, dang. <laughs> That's like another level. That's like Super Saiyan level 9000. <laughs> but man, aren't we not all controlling? Are we not all control freaks? If any one of the things we talked about today you identified with in even the smallest way, you have some control issues. We all do. And see, with control, it, it leaves us with this giant problem of peace. Because we can't control anything. I heard a saying one time that the only thing that is constant in this world is change. Change is always going to happen. That really conflicts with our desire for control, doesn't it? Even in a marriage, do not people change? You know why? You ever hear someone say that? You changed from when we first met. Yeah, I grew up. (laughs) You did too. You're a lot more unbearable to be with as well. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) See, People change. I've changed. We should want to change. We should want to be different than we were last year. But see, the problem that we have with peace is that our happiness is dependent on our circumstances. If something doesn't go the way that we projected or the way that we wanted, it ruins our happiness. Puts us in a bad mood. If a person doesn't respond the way that we want them to, It ruins our happiness. Be mad the rest of the day. Because we want to control people. No, when I say something, you just listen. Right? (laughs) That's what you need to do. Just listen to what I'm saying because I I know more than you. I I have the manifest destiny written on my heart and you are in the way. We have this, this problem of peace in our lives. The reason that we do not have peace 
is because we're still trying to grip onto everything, trying to control everything. And what if, perhaps, let's bring it back to God for a second. What if, perhaps, the position that we're in right now has a greater purpose than we see? Just maybe. What if the family that you had, that you have so much spite against, that there's a purpose to it? You know, I, I, I have an ugly past. And God brought me to salvation in a very radical way. And I used to think, if I could go back, I would do it all differently. I was thinking about that question the other day, and I, and I realized I wouldn't want anything different. I wouldn't have wanted to hurt people that I hurt, of course. But as far as the, the experiences I learned, the parents that I had, the family that I had, it, it is what made me part of who I am today. And maybe you're at a point where you just hate who you are today. But there is, what if there's a purpose to all that stuff? Now, I'm not saying that, that everything happens for a reason. I don't really believe that. I believe sometimes just painful things happen, but God puts purpose to it. And what if there's actually something you're missing even right now And what you think are just a bunch of closed doors are actually open doors. Let me read you all this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. And it says, this is Paul talking. He says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here including the whole palace guard knows that i am in chains because of christ and because of my imprisonment most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak god's message without fear so let me explain what the what paul is saying this is a letter to the church in philippi And Paul was imprisoned for preaching the the good news. He was imprisoned for preaching Jesus Christ. I could only imagine how, how entitled he had the right to feel. Preaching the message of God and he's just like, God, I thought you were supposed to protect me. Here I am in prison. They're whipping me. God, you're supposed to protect me. Why am I here? And he, it could have been this whole wallowing pity party. And what he's saying in this verse is saying, man, I'm so glad that they threw me in here because even though it seems like a closed door to them, they, in another version it says, they think that they were putting me in prison, but all they did was give me a pulpit. And he, he's talking about, the palace guards that are guarding him are being brought to Christ. <laughs> the security guards. <laughs> the ones whipping him, he's telling about Jesus Christ and they're coming to salvation. He's, he's literally used the thing that was meant for pain to be a pulpit, to be a purpose. Even the people that were in prison already for preaching the good news as well, They're ready to give up. They're ready to say, okay, I disowned Jesus. Let me out of here. 
And then Paul showed up and gave them all of renewed hope and confidence. People that kept their salvation just because Paul joined in on it. And so often we're just so focused on trying to get out of where we're at that we can't see the goodness and the opportunity that is right in front of us. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if, we're, if we are stuck in entitlement and control, it's going to make us blind to the potential that's right in front of us. The potential of having a real relationship with the parents that you have so much spite for. The potential of actually enjoying the job that you're at right now. The potential of actually making a difference for Christ. The potential of having a true relationship with God. That's just not out to get a free ticket to heaven. But that's out to experience the love of God, the king of the universe, and a deep relationship. And if you're here, maybe at some point, with everything that we talked about, you realize that you need to see God in a different light. You need to see Jesus in a different way. The Bible says in the book of Romans that all you have to do in order to be saved by Christ is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and surely you shall be saved. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a nice gesture, it was a transaction to pay for our debt of sin. And if you're ready to experience that relationship today, I want you to just raise your hand. To every eye closed and head bowed, I see your hands. I see your hands. See your hands. And so now I want, I want us all to pray this prayer together. If you raise your hand or if you've already given your life to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I see you. I see you like never before. You died on the cross for my sins because you love me, because you saw me. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you rose from the dead. Forgive me of my past and forgive me of my way of thinking. I've tried to control, but I'm ready to let go. I'm ready to trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash me in your blood and make me new. In Jesus' name. Amen.